see everyone is out this morning. Again, we have a really good number of folks here. I think we have visitors. I know we do. And uh, we're glad you're here. I hope you'll want to come back and be with us at every opportunity you have in the future. As Greg already announced, tonight we're going to have the first of our debates, our scheduled debates. There will be several of them throughout the year. And uh, we will be debating the subject of instrumental music. And I'm going to talk about both debating, as we see it in the New Testament, why we are doing that, so why we do what we do. And uh, then I'll introduce, since it is our first one, I'll kind of introduce, if you come back, and I encourage you to come back at 4 o'clock, I'll introduce what's going to be going on at 4 o'clock. And at the end of the lesson, Wes is going to come up and make a couple of comments as well. So kind of just join with me as we go through and we look at some things and consider some things in the New Testament, and we talk about what we're going to be doing at 4 o'clock this afternoon. So let's start off. I hope. There we go. Well, I hope. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) So let's start off with making some observations. I was in forensics when I was in college, and from college campuses, forensics competitions, etc., all the way to political debates. Now, we've just had probably one of the most heated political seasons we continue to have it, that we've had uh, maybe in my lifetime, certainly and maybe in all of your lifetime. But no matter if you're talking about a forensics competition or you're talking about a political debate, the emphasis is on winning. And so the idea when we would be in competitions in college, we would go and we would compete against either a school or other schools, and it was the idea of winning the competition. It would be trophies and all of that, sometimes scholarships, all of that kind of thing. So winning. And sometimes, in the interest of winning, there is less than acceptable tactics. I think if you watch the political debates or you've seen even religious debates that have been conducted between people from time to time, If you've seen that kind of thing, in order to achieve success, sometimes people will resort to less than desirable tactics, and that's a euphemistic way of putting that they really do things they ought not do. I'll make another observation about debate, and I'll say that the less than desirable is not what should happen, but technically, and I'm going to throw some terms out to you, because we may use some of these terms Uh, I may certainly use them to describe and and so forth. So technically, a debate is, you'll notice I say in italics, a discussion. That's what it is supposed to be. Two people, or more than two people, but two sides of an issue, sometimes more sides of an issue, are discussed. It is a discussion. It is literally a dialogue. And I'm going to point that out from the New Testament as we look at some of those passages. But a dialogue whereby participants, and that's what they're usually called, not opponents, but participants, contend for their side of the issue by argument. Now, when we say argument, if we say so-and-so had an argument, we usually mean something very negative about that. It means they yelled and screamed at each other, they called each other dirty names and all that kind of thing. That is not what you should expect at 4 o'clock today. We are not going to do that. But technically an argument, or literally an argument, is an exchange of ideas. It is, and I put a word up here we probably don't use very much, but a polemic. And what that means is I am arguing for a side of an issue, so I set out point by point by point to argue for that. I believe it is uh, logical, uh, sequential, that if this is so, then this is so, then this is so, and so the issue The side that I take on the issue is so. That's an argument. That's a polemic. 
And so two participants, or more, but in our case two, will argue for their position. They have a position. You know, today's debate is about instrumental music. Wes is taking one side of that issue. He has a position. I'm taking another side of that. And next week we'll flip it around and we'll do exactly what the other one did today. But the idea is we're taking a side of the issue and we are, quote, unquote, arguing for that. And ideally, and if a debate is conducted in the correct manner, and if we went back in time to, you know, say the 1800s when, admittedly, when people would do things like this, they had a lot more respect for each other, generally speaking, um, than the norm is for today. I mean, that's just unfortunate, but that's the way it is. But ideally, the issue would be resolved. We're going to see that in the Bible. We're going to see that in the New Testament, and I'll point that out. But the issue would be resolved through factual accuracy, that is, pointing out the facts, sometimes that the other person did not know. In other words, you will mention something, you will defend something, and show the truth of it. And by showing the truth of it and reasoning logically, a person will say, okay, then I see that. And so the issue will be resolved. Now, that's the way it is supposed to go. And we hope it will go. If the debate does not degenerate, and I think if you watch the political debates and you see other debates and discussions that go on, if you were to turn on daily on a news shows or talk TV or radio or whatever, they do degenerate. But if it does not degenerate into an emotionally charged exchange of asides, even insults, I debated a denominational preacher one time, and by not even a third or maybe a fourth of the way into the debate, he began to throw a lot of emotionally charged statements and name-calling and different things like that into it. I was challenged on a radio program that I held for years in Alabama by an atheist, and he did the same thing, only he was not insulting me, unfortunately. He got to the point of insulting God in the debate. If it doesn't degenerate into something like that, and I assure you Wes and I are not going to allow that to happen. So if it doesn't, if both participants honestly evaluate the arguments that are presented by their opponent or the fellow participant, then truth may be discerned. But that's only if honesty prevails. And it becomes the responsibility of the two people especially that are debating. But more than that, it becomes the responsibility of everyone in the audience to value truth and honesty over everything else. And if you do, then truth will prevail, and that's exactly what the aim is in a debate. Now let's look at debating in the New Testament. Because various passages in the New Testament, I believe, demonstrate the relevance and the benefit, and you'll note if I say of good debates. Because when they degenerate into name-calling and I'm going to stubbornly stick to my side of the issue and I'm going to even be dishonest if I have to because I want to win, that's not a good debate. A good debate is everything that I just said. I think Jesus was involved in a number of good debates or good discussions. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. You might find this an odd place to begin, but it is exactly what ought to happen in a debate. In Luke 2, you may remember that in 
respect of and obedience to Deuteronomy 16, Jesus' family went from Galilee down to Jerusalem, or literally up to Jerusalem as the Bible would picture it. They did that every year for Passover because that was the law. You can see that in verse 41. But I'm interested in the event that happens down in verses 46 and 47 because if you remember when they were going back home, Jesus was missing from the caravan and mom and dad went back looking for him. And so if you drop down to verse 46, they found him. It said, it came to pass after three days they found him in the temple and he was sitting in the midst of the doctors, the King James says. A lot of your translations say he was sitting among the teachers. And these would be learned, educated, grown men, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now, if you go back to verse 42, what's astonishing about that is he's 12 years old. But they are grown men and they are educated, they are learned, and he's sitting in the middle of them. And if you'll notice, he is both, quote, hearing them and asking them questions. So he's in the temple with these teachers, and they were astonished, if you notice verse 47, at his understanding, the King James says, and his answers. Those two terms show us they were debating, they were discussing, and here's why. Because the word used for understanding here is a word for intellect, but it literally means the ability to put things together. So when you're debating, and we're going to be at 4 o'clock, Wes is going to make arguments today, and he's going to defend a proposition, and I'm going to answer those arguments that he makes. And hopefully both of us will put things together, we will lay them out in a logical sequence, and we assume you have the intellect, and we know you do, you can put those things together. And that's when a person has a normal intellect, they're able to do that. So he, he was understanding, and they were understanding, what the other side was saying. But also, he was giving responses, the answers that he was giving. So, maybe they had different schools of thought. We know that that was prevalent in the first century. Different rabbis had different positions about things. Throw one out to you. Can a person divorce his wife for any reason and marry someone else? The two prevailing ideas would have been the school of Hillel that said, yeah, you can divorce for any reason and remarry again. That rabbi, Hillel, taught that. The rabbi Shammai taught, no, you can't divorce for any reason and remarry again. Now, perhaps they were discussing that. I don't know. Maybe they were discussing any of a host of other issues or subjects or, and so forth. But each side was asking questions. Each side was responding to questions. Each side, Jesus and these learned teachers, were listening and putting these things together. So we see a discussion, a debate going on here. In Matthew chapter 22, maybe what we might more classically think of as Jesus in debates would be like Matthew 22. Now, you know what happened here. This is where the Pharisees and other groups, if you'll go down to verse 15, came to trick Jesus. They wanted to catch him in something. And so they threw out questions and they threw out scenarios, you know, such as the law of leveret marriage. Can, you know, a man, when, his, uh, when a man died, his wife was to marry the brother, and it had to do with inheritance and all of that. And we even see all of that in the book of Ruth. Now, I'm not going to go deep into that. But the Sadducees, who did not believe in a resurrection, assumed, that in the resurrection, you would be with whomever you're married to on earth. Kind of like the Mormon believe today. And so they said, okay, this whole law of lever at marriage, if resurrection is so, 
And let's say that there's a woman and she's married to a guy and he dies and then she marries the brother and he dies all the way up to seven brothers. Man, when you get in the resurrection, if there was one, the Sadducees say, she's going to have seven husbands. And Jesus said, you err, not knowing the scriptures. And he would point out the truth. He would refute their allegations, their false conclusions like that. And he would point out the truth and he would ask pointed questions. Have you not read, for example, Jesus would say in the scriptures? Like John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus has healed a man, a lame man, if you remember in that case. And that whole big debate breaks out about that. And Jesus will finally say in verse 39, search the scriptures. The word search there doesn't just simply mean read the Bible. It means investigate what the scriptures say. It means really dig into it. Look into it deeply. Now, we may do that today. We may break into some verses, and I mean really dig down into some, to both argue for something or against something. But it's the idea of putting forth an investigation of Scriptures. And Jesus would challenge these people uh, to, to look at the Scriptures and to see what they say. Now, the apostles followed suit. You know, Jude would say, and this is a commonly quoted verse in various religious discussions, but Jude would write to people and he would say, you know, with respect to the common salvation we have, or concerning the common salvation, notice the language here. You should earnestly contend. You know, popularly today, you don't quote-unquote fight about the Bible. I'm not going to fight about religion. I'm not going to fight about the Bible. I understand what people mean. I'm not going to get in a dirty name-calling, maybe even fist-flying and everything else over a religious discussion. And I'm not going to either. But if we mean fighting by defending, or contending for, standing up for something, really, you know, not shrinking into the background and just go with the flow of, unless everybody believe what they want to believe. That is not what God teaches us to do. So Jude said, we have a common salvation. You know, we've been talking about order, and we've been talking about one way of things, and all of this sort of thing. Contend. And that word means fight. But it means fight in the right way for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. You know, the apostles did that. They followed the example of Jesus. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Acts. And I'm just going to look at some passages in Acts, and just kind of note where the apostles and the early church did this. So let's start off in Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 is a good example of a debate because there is an issue at hand. So if you go to Acts, no, that's 16. Acts 15. If you go to Acts 15 and you start in the beginning of the chapter, and I won't go through all of it here, but notice certain men came down from Judea and they taught the brethren. And here's what they said. Here was their side of the issue. Here was their position. Except you be circumcised. The idea would be in obedience to the law of Moses. Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now that was their side of the position. That was not what Paul and Barnabas were teaching. So they took the other side of the position, which would be what? You do not have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now notice verse 2 and how Luke describes it. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small, and I want you to look at these terms, no matter which way your Bible translates it, but no small dissension, the King James says, that first word there, it means a different position, literally, a different stance. 
And they didn't, and, and what it's saying is they didn't just have a little different position. They had a totally different one. No small difference of position or stance. And notice it goes on to say, and disputation. And this word means an exchange of questions. Disputing. The idea of a discussion. The idea, of, literally, of reasoning. And so here's what, exactly what Luke is saying. You had a group of brethren in the first century. And they were saying, if you want to be saved, you've got to add the law of Moses to the gospel, and you've got to obey the law of Moses, like being circumcised. And the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, I take exactly the opposite position of that. Exactly opposite. You do not have to obey the law of Moses. You do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so they had two opposing sides of this issue. Now, it was widespread. In Acts 15. And it goes on to Jerusalem. You'll notice down in verse 6 and 7 that it is re- it's, it's being spread and it's reached Jerusalem. And so the apostles and elders came together, notice the phrase, for to consider of this matter. And if you'll notice, it says, and when there had been much disputing. That's the same word that you see back in verse 2, that second word, disputation. So what happened here? They came together in Jerusalem and they decided to debate the issue. That's exactly what they did. And the apostles, and it'll be the last time we see all the apostles gather together. Of course, minus James that was murdered by Herod in Acts 12. But all the apostles and the elders in the city of Jerusalem come together and they debate. They dispute it. That is, they discuss it. They exchange questions. They have lines of reasoning. And you can even see some of the, you know, a little bit of of the speeches that are given here. Like Wes and I will be making speeches, different ones, stand up and talk. James, who is probably the Lord's brother there, a preacher, maybe an elder even in Jerusalem. He will speak. Peter himself will speak. Paul and Barnabas will speak. Different ones will exchange. And finally, they will resolve it. And that's exactly what a a debate should do. You should exchange it, debate it, discuss it, reason through it, etc. And if everybody maintains the proper attitude, and if the interest is the truth, then you'll get at it. And that's exactly what they did. And they finally, once they resolved it and they came to a decision, you don't see any objection when they say, okay, this is what we want to send out to brethren, and we want to say to them... And what it pretty much amounts to is this. You do not have to obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. You do not have to be circumcised. But there are some things that the law of Moses would say that are still right, and you need to do that. And that's the letter they sent out with no objection. So they resolved their dispute in Acts 15. Now we see Paul doing that numerous times throughout the Scriptures. If you were to turn a page or so over to chapter 17... It becomes Paul's regular way, normal way of doing things. He enters Thessalonica. Now let me just read from this passage and look at verse 2. It says, Paul, as his manner was, went into unto them. Go back to verse 1. You can see he went into the synagogue of the Jews. But he went in unto them, and for three Sabbath days, three Saturdays in a row, I would assume, he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Notice as it goes on into verse 3 when it says, Opening and alleging. And what's he defending? Well, that Christ, the Messiah, must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead 
and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is in fact the Old Testament Messiah. He's debating with these Jews in the synagogue repeatedly. And you'll notice these terms, he reasoned. What does that mean? Well, literally, in the original language, it's a word that means he discussed by argument. He put forth points. You can only imagine what he would have said to defend from the Old Testament a suffering Savior, Isaiah 53, a risen Savior. Again, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. But he went back and made arguments to the Jews that, in fact, it was the case. It's the word from which we get our word dialogue. And I find that interesting. Because in the New Testament, the word for debate, the most common word for debate is dialogue. Yet if anything has happened in modern times, we take dialogue to be a very positive, you know, let's dialogue, let's have a dialogue. That's very positive. But we take debate to be negative. Boy, we don't want to debate. That's mean, that's ugly. And most people, I would venture to say, don't realize it's the exact same term in the original. Dialogue means just that, an exchange of ideas, questions, arguments, trying to derive by logical reasoning the truth. Notice these terms, opening and alleging, as it says here in Acts 17.3. Opening, opening thoroughly. It's when, you know, when Jesus, uh, Buddy Payne recently preached a sermon on the two, about the two on the road to Demaeus, and it talks about how Jesus opened unto them the Scripture. Did the same thing with the disciples, the twelve, or the eleven, rather, in verse 45. It doesn't mean he just pointed out a few Scriptures. It means he really dug into them and showed them, just like Paul is doing to the Jews here. He dug into the Old Testament Scriptures and showed them that it was in fact the way it had just happened was the way it was supposed to have happened. And he defended that. The idea of alleging means literally to place alongside. So you place argument alongside argument alongside argument and draw a conclusion. And the conclusion should be logical. It should be rational. It should be what is the necessary conclusion from what you've just argued. And we see that. And uh, it, it's the idea in Scripture, and, we, and I put down 2 Timothy 2, that's exactly what the word that's used there for the, what you've been taught, what you've learned, commit to other people. Don't just give them some general idea of, you know, believe in Jesus because he died for your sins, and then do whatever you want to do. Paul is saying to Timothy, no, you teach them point by point by point by point exactly what I taught you. And that's, that's what's supposed to happen through history. Now... Briefly, this is what you're going to see at 4 o'clock today. Wes will affirm, that that means he'll defend, he'll argue for this proposition. Christians have New Testament authority to use instruments in their praise and worship to God. I will be in the negative. I'll deny that. Next Sunday, I'll defend that exact same proposition. And Wes will be in the negative. So you'll get both viewpoints or both sides on both sides of the issue. And I'll attempt this afternoon to answer Wes's arguments. I'll try to the best of my ability. Whatever he comes up here and says, I will try to answer that. And next week he'll be doing the same thing. Now this is how it will go down. Wes will open with a ten-minute speech. 
He'll make whatever arguments, and I don't know what they are. We agreed we're not going to try to tell each other what we're going to say. Okay? So I have no idea. Uh, I'm a little worried. No, I'm not. (laughs) I have no idea what Wes is going to say. So he'll open with a 10-minute speech, and I'll counter with a 10-minute rebuttal. Then Wes will come back up here and readdress in a seven-minute speech, and I'll follow with a seven-minute redirect, as it's called. In other words, a second rebuttal. And then finally, Wes will give a three-minute summation, and I'll follow with a three-minute summation. Now, in all of this, so that's the format. That's what you should expect. One getting up after the other, that kind of thing, and we will be debating. Some guiding principles, and I mentioned two verses of Scripture. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. But we know we disagree. And the only way to arrive at agreement and speak the same thing is if we honestly discuss issues so we can come to the truth because we want to do that for Jesus. I beseech you that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. We will not be two divided brethren this afternoon. I promise you that. And that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And we'll try to achieve that. There's another verse in 1 Corinthians 16. And it says, watch, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. And I want to point this out. It literally means to acquit yourself. That is, make a sentence yourself to be human. Now, this is not act like males. And it is certainly not act like animals. It is the best of everything that a human is. You be like that. You be in the image of God like He meant you to be. And you be strong. And you let all things be done with love. If we do that, there's going to be a wonderful discussion this afternoon. And hopefully all of us will learn from it. I'm going to ask Wes to come up here make any comments he wants to make for a few minutes. And then we'll close with an invitation. Wes. I intend to keep this briefer than my three-minute summation tonight. In three weeks, I suspect we will have a harp up here during our worship if I do my job tonight. I'll wait. But then next week, I will feel the opposite. So uh, you understand kind of how difficult that is from our perspective here. He doesn't know what I'm going to say tonight. I have no idea what he's going to say tonight. And I have to be prepared for what he's going to say. He has to be prepared for what I'm going to say. So one of the things that has really come out of this is both of us have really dove into this. And I actually can't believe that it's tonight. Uh, It just seems like it was months ago we were talking about this. And, man, those months flew by. And so we really want you to be here. And I wrote down before Michael ever got up talking tonight, I wrote down two things because he didn't tell me what to say. He didn't give me ideas like, you got any comments? Say them. I was like, well, I don't know if I have any comments. But there are two things that I wrote down. As I think about why we're doing these debates tonight, number one that I wrote down was to discover the truth. That's exactly what he, that's exactly what he was just talking about right there. So I'm not going to expound on that. The second one, and I've been saying this to a lot of people, is that it helps us see, and we're going to use this as a teaching tool, because it helps us see arguments and beliefs that we think are very simple. Oh, it's as simple as I'm going to quote Ephesians 5.19 or I'm going to quote Colossians 3.16, and that's going to answer that question. 
But what we're going to see tonight is it's not that simple when it comes to debating something. And so, yeah, that's probably, who knows what the conclusion is going to be. But what we are going to note is that something that you or myself might think is incredibly obvious and incredibly simple is probably not to other people in the religious world. They're not just doing it out of rebellion. There are reasons why they don't sing a cappella only. There are reasons why we sing a cappella only. And so I, I'm very excited about this afternoon. I'm nervous. I don't get nervous to get up here and preach. I'm nervous for this afternoon because I have no idea what he's going to say. But we do this all the time when we go into people's homes. That's what we're doing. We're sitting around a kitchen table or we're sitting in the living room. You don't know what they're going to say. And you better be able and you better be ready to defend it. So God willing, we will have a successful understanding of what the truth is in regards to this issue. I'll turn it back to Mark. So I agree with him. You know, I don't get nervous about coming up here to preach, but it's a little different. So it is nervous. Uh, It is a little nerve-wrecking, as they sometimes say. But it is also very exciting, and uh, I look forward to it. I know that there have been several of you that have come up and talked about it, and so I know you're looking forward to it as well. Feel free to invite anybody you want to come. Um, As I said, we will obviously, to the best of our ability, conduct ourselves as we should. So if you want someone to see a discussion of this issue, uh, at least between two people that are going to try to act like they're supposed to act, this would be a great time to invite one of your friends, family, neighbors, whatever, and uh, feel free to do that. As we close out this morning, I mentioned a moment ago, that we want to have the same mind. We want to have the same judgment. We want to be perfectly joined together. We want to do that because we want to do that for our Lord. James said earlier that he chose songs according to the title, Why We Do What We Do. Well, you chose them exactly correct. We do everything we do because we're doing it for Jesus. The greatest thing that any of us can do is to ask ourselves a simple question, and that is, what would the Lord want me to do? And do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you look at yourself and you say, I know Jesus is the Son of God. And I know that at some point in my life I need to make a commitment to Him and live my life for Him. I believe in Him. And I don't mind confessing that. I'm I'm willing to confess it. Maybe the hard part is repenting. Changing. And there are things in my life that would be difficult to change. Believe me, I know that feeling. And so do many people here. And that it is a struggle. And you may spend the rest of your life struggling with that. Trying to change. Change for the better. Get even better. Change even more things. And you'll please Jesus by doing that. No one is saying this morning, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be sinless. Because you wouldn't need him if you were. But if you come up this morning and you're baptized, your sins will be washed away. You start with a clean slate and you say, yeah, but I know I'm going to mess up again. Yeah, but how hard are you willing to try to live for? That's what you need to answer. Now, maybe you're here and you've been baptized and you've kind of slipped back and forth and you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what? I need a recommitment. I need to rededicate, as sometimes people will call it. 
I need to ask for people to pray together with me that I can be strong. You need to come this morning. Please come. Watch James leads us.